This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, January 12th, 2023. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include an appreciation of Apple's Safari browser, 20 years after its introduction. If you think ChatGPT makes writing book reports and business letters easier, wait until you hear what hackers are using it for. Apple's crash detection software isn't perfect and is on record signaling false positives in non-dangerous situations. What's Apple doing about it? And we'll continue our look back at the biggest Apple privacy and security news stories from last year, 2022. Now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's Chief Security Analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kurt? I'm doing fine. You know, we had an anniversary this week. Um, not us, but... No, not us, <laughs> the, no. But the Safari browser had an anniversary. Yes, yeah, Safari was 20 years old. And I looked into this, and you know, it's really interesting to look back at Steve Jobs' old presentations. And I have an article on the Intigomac Security blog about Apple Safari being 20 years old, and I linked to a YouTube video of this presentation... What I find interesting is the – this is the early Steve Jobs, right? 2003. The Steve Jobs at his peak was around the iPhone when he had really refined all these presentations. It's interesting how much he's really improvising. You know, when Tim Cook – well, they used to do the onstage presentations. Now it's all filmed and all that. You would see him looking down at the prompter that was on the floor, right? That was on the ground of wherever they were doing it. And – it was always heavily scripted, but Steve Jobs is always improvising, and you could tell. And it almost makes it more sincere. One of the things that I got out of this article was just how much the browser landscape has changed in 20 years. I remember when Safari came out. What I didn't remember was what browsers were popular at the time. I do remember that Internet Explorer was the thing on Windows, but what I had forgotten was that Firefox wasn't hadn't really fully caught on yet. Firefox at the time was still in a zero point something version of the browser. And Netscape was actually still being developed at that time, which that kind of blew my mind thinking about that. It wasn't still being developed. It was probably the second most popular browser. At one point in the presentation, Steve Jobs, who, who was presenting a turbo browser for Mac OS X, was showing how fast Safari was compared to Internet Explorer, Netscape, and Chimera. I don't remember Chimera at all. Well, I do. You might not remember it under the name Chimera, but you may remember that it was called Camino after that. Camino, yes, that I remember. Okay. Yeah, so Chimera is Camino. They just kind of changed the name shortly after that point in history when Safari happened to come out. So Camino, I actually really liked that browser. It was, if I remember correctly, I think it was based on the same engine that Firefox uses today. And it had some very Mac-specific features, which was nice. It was actually still being developed until 2013. So gosh, wow, that's been 10 years ago now that Camino was canceled. I actually wrote an article about it way back then for the Mac Security blog. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. What's interesting with Safari is how important it is in Apple's operating systems. Not only is it available for the Mac, for iOS, for watchOS, for iPadOS, etc., but WebKit, which underlies Safari, which is what renders pages in Safari, is used in an 
number of apps. It's used in mail. It's used in the app store. It's used in notes in the music app. And we mention WebKit often because there are often vulnerabilities that are patched with Apple security updates that affect WebKit. Right. And WebKit vulnerabilities do tend to be a pretty significant chunk of all the vulnerabilities that are getting patched in new macOS, iOS, etc. updates whenever these things come out. WebKit is pretty important because if you think about it, that's your portal to the whole internet, right? Just about any time that you are going online, so to speak, you're, you're really going on the web nearly all the time. And your web browser is what you use to do that. And so WebKit is that technology behind the scenes that is allowing web pages to be rendered, uh, whether you're using Safari or uh, even certain other browsers as well, maybe using WebKit. For sure, that's the case on iOS and iPadOS, where the only browser essentially that you're really using is a WebKit-based browser. Whether you're using Safari or a third-party browser, you're restricted to WebKit. Apple currently does not allow any other browsing engines to be used on iOS. Okay, so check out the article. There's a link in the show notes. You might enjoy looking at the graphic at the top of the article, which I took from Apple's webpage on the day that they announced Safari with that old brushed metal interface. That seemed so cool at the time, right? And now it just looks so old. It almost looks Victorian. It's, it is kind of funny that the way that interfaces change over time and, and how we think something looks so cool and it's so novel and then eventually it just looks ancient. So we have new banking malware that has been modified to spread using macOS. It's called Drydex. That sounds like something you get in the men's room after you wash your hands. Drydex. <laughs> Uh, well, Drydex has has been around for a long time. It's mostly known as Windows malware because historically that's where it began. I want to say it's been around for maybe about eight years or so. And Drydex has mostly been associated with Windows. So what is kind of interesting about this is that Trend Micro did this analysis of some Drydex malware that they found for Mac OS. However, they actually unpublished their findings because they decided that, oh, okay, well, it's not actually new malware after all. And so apparently this was not Drydex's grand return onto the Mac, but it was some older malware that they found and didn't realize that it wasn't brand new. So instead of a new season, it was just a rerun. <laughs> it was just a rerun. Um, but interestingly, this did get mainstream media attention. So it's it's worth mentioning here. If you are wondering about what's going on with Drydex, well, it's not an active malware campaign, so it's not something that you need to worry about. And of course, if you're using Intego Virus Barrier on your Mac, you're going to be protected from this malware. If you've been paying attention to the mainstream news, you have heard about something called ChatGPT. We are at a breakthrough in artificial intelligence or AI. We have AI tools that can create artwork and music, and now they can write articles. And this is getting a lot of attention, particularly for school children who have articles and reports to write, and all they have to do is go onto the internet now, and instead of copying Wikipedia, they can just ask ChatGPT to write an article about, I don't know, the Boxer Rebellion or the Civil War or something like that. It turns out that ChatGPT is actually pretty good at writing malware <laughs> as well. Well, yeah. So ChatGPT is specifically designed to 
not be able to do malicious things or be used for malicious purposes. But what some would-be hackers are discovering is that they can take some existing malicious code or code that can be used for malicious purposes, we'll put it that way. And they're putting that into chat GPT and, and asking for modifications. And so they're able to get basically new variants of malware that is being coded by this artificial intelligence that doesn't know that this code is potentially going to be used for malicious purposes. So it doesn't know that it's writing malware. It just thinks it's solving a, a programming problem for somebody. And so it, it it allows this to happen, even though ChatGPT is not supposed to be used for malicious purposes or usable for malicious purposes. So artificial intelligence is pretty good at doing certain things, but it's also kind of stupid. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so ChatGPT is, is, is very interesting from a lot of uh, different perspectives. One of the things that is really important to understand about this is that it's trained on information that was available as of 2021 when they cut off its information feed. And so they've been training this algorithm over time until they launched it in, in November. And so really over the past couple of months, this has been getting a lot of press. People have been really excited and surprised about some of the content that they're able to get out of this. But this is just a, an interesting, I guess, novel use of ChatGPT, and I'm, I'm sure that they're going to modify it so it will be less easy to use for making new versions or new variants of malware sometime in the future. You know, I've been doing this internet stuff and computer stuff for long enough to know that someone will always use things in ways that it was not intended to be used. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, really any tool, whether we're talking about technology or not, can be used for good or for evil. And so this is definitely one of those cases where something that was clearly intended to be used for good can also be used by the bad guys, too. Well, speaking of unintended consequences, Apple's new crash detection feature seems to be causing an awful lot of false positives. Crash detection came out with the latest iPhone and Apple Watch, and we talked about it pretty early on, I think in the month of November, when people were triggering this going on roller coasters, because it works, it detects sudden changes in G-force, along with changes in speed, etc. So if you're on a roller coaster and you're going down really fast and then it goes up again, right? That's a lot of Gs, gravities, but it's gotten worse. There's people crashing down ski slopes. In one case in Canada, there was a long helicopter search for someone who had triggered it, and then they sent Mounties to the person's neighborhood to see if he was okay. And this takes a lot of time, and it means that emergency responders are kind of busy. On the other hand, one man was able to find his wife, who had been in a serious car crash, before an ambulance arrived. So that's positive. Now, in Minnesota, they've had snowmobilers trigger this a lot. And in some cases, they're telling people to turn this feature off. Now, this is a safety security feature. You don't want to turn it off, but maybe there are times that you might want to turn it off temporarily. Yeah. So this is exactly the, the challenge, right? If you do turn it off, then you have to remember to turn it back on. Uh, and that is not something that you may necessarily be thinking about when you're leaving an amusement park. Maybe you're there with your family and you're not going to think about, oh, and by the way, I was on some roller coasters earlier. And so I, I turned off my crash detection and I need to make sure I turn that back on before I go home. It's just not something that's likely to cross your mind. 
Well, when we were discussing this before the show, I had a sudden flash of inspiration. What if you had the ability to turn it off for one hour? But then let's say you're on the roller coaster and you get sick and you end up driving home earlier than you expected and you get into an accident and it didn't go back on automatically after one hour. So it's a really useful safety feature and it's certainly saved lives. And and Apple is publicizing this every time it happens when someone's in an accident and they use this to, to get emergency services. I guess false positives are just the price we have to pay for having a feature like this. Yeah, and I I think to some degree, there are probably some things that Apple can do to improve this technology so that it's not issuing so many false positive alerts to emergency services. One thing, for example, is if there are particular locations, I mean, presumably Apple has data on this, right? They should be able to see where crash detection is frequently going off. And, you know, if it's always happening in these particular hotspots, like if it's at a an amusement park that's been there for decades and some ride is triggering these crash detection alerts all the time, maybe Apple put can put a little geofence around that ride as long as it's not right next to the street, you know, or right next to a parking lot, then maybe just put a little geofence around it and say, okay, ignore all crash detection triggers from this particular geographic location. And what if someone falls off the roller coaster? Um, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that people would see that and immediately, you know, uh, come to their aid. Yeah. <laughs> good point. Yeah. Good point. Because the idea of crash detection is that when you're out in the middle of nowhere, you're driving on a road and you may be unconscious and you can't call the emergency services, that it does it for you to save your life. So... Don't turn it off regardless of what your local police or ambulance service is telling you. Keep it on because it could save you. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue our look at Apple security and privacy in 2022. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup, to keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more, to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Ventura and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Indigo Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intigo.com. That's podcast.intigo.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Indigo Mac Podcast listeners. Indigo, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. In the last episode, we started looking at Apple security and privacy in 2022. We made it up to the month of April. And in May, well, do we really want to talk about Ellie's data auction? I'll put a link in the show notes to episode 241 of the Intego Mac podcast. Apple had this ad about how various companies were buying data of someone named Ellie. And it was kind of interesting. It shows the type of features that Apple has to ensure privacy. But then the month of June came and every year, the month of June is the Worldwide Developer Conference where Apple 
presents new operating systems and sometimes new Macs. We looked at that in June, and I'll link in the show notes to an article, but we also looked at Apple's planned obsolescence because iOS 16 and macOS Ventura dropped support for many models of Apple devices and probably more than we expected. Well, not only did Apple cut off more iPhone models than I think a lot of people expected, I I actually thought that the iPhone 7 was probably going to get another year just based on Apple's patterns over the last several years. From iOS 13 to 15, they all supported the same models all the way back to the iPhone 6S. And so, you know, if you were kind of assuming that Apple would maybe drop another phone model by by this point, well, then maybe the iPhone 7 would still get updates. No, no 7, no 7 Plus. They cut those off. But what's, I think, more interesting than that is, you know, I mean, those are pretty old phones, to be fair. But looking at the Mac, Apple actually cut off even a 2017 model of Mac. So it it wasn't even five years old at the time that Apple was making this announcement about Mac OS Ventura coming later in the year. The 2017 MacBook Air was not going to be supported by Mac OS Ventura. Now you might think, okay, yeah, but it's a five-year-old Mac. I mean, that's not that big of a deal, right? Well, I I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people who are still very happily using Macs that are even much older than that because Macs work well and they don't die quickly, typically. And so a lot of people are really hanging on to their their Macs, their, their MacBooks for a lot longer than five years at this point. In July, we did an episode of the Intego Mac podcast about lockdown mode, which is a new feature that, well, locks down Apple devices. And in fact, we'll come back to that in November when we did an episode of the podcast where Josh had tried out lockdown mode and he told us what he thought of it. August started out the month with security updates and ended the month with security updates. It was a pretty busy month. And you know, this actually happens quite often when they're just about to release a new operating system that they kind of patch all the stuff in the previous operating system. In August, we also took a closer look at the biometric security of the iPhone, and we examined which is more secure, Face ID, Touch ID, or a passcode. And the spoiler is probably a really long passcode is the most secure of all, but it's not the easiest to use. Right. And so, and Face ID and Touch ID are both really good technologies. There are potential ways to bypass them. I think the the most severe potential problem is that if there is a family member who looks very much like you in terms of their facial structure, sometimes even children, of course, an identical twin uh, can very frequently unlock your device with Face ID, but sometimes even people are finding that their child or in, you know, or if you have a phone and you're a child, maybe your parent can unlock using Face ID your device. So th- that is something that uh, that people should be aware of. Touch ID, you know, there have been ways to theoretically bypass Touch ID and Face ID, but both of these technologies have been improving over time. I don't think it's super easy for anyone to bypass these. And so I do think that it's a good idea for convenience to use these technologies because chances are someone's probably not going to be able to break into your phone using them. Okay, September saw the release of iOS 16 on September 12, 
And as we've seen in previous years, other operating systems got delayed. iPadOS didn't come out until October, along with macOS Ventura. In September, we did a close look at the new security and privacy features in all of these operating systems. We had some more security updates in September, and we had an interesting episode of the Intego Mac podcast where we talked about the dangers of expired domains and old email addresses. And it turns out that if you owned a domain and had an email address and didn't renew that domain, someone else could buy the domain and use it and create the same email accounts. And they might be getting emails that had been intended for people at an old company, for example. Right. And I think this is such an interesting topic. We may revisit this at some point. This is really not something that a lot of people think of. Uh, Another just really brief note about what we talked about on that show is that even if you don't own a domain, but maybe you used to work for a company and you still have that email address registered as one of your email addresses with, for example, LinkedIn, maybe Facebook. There are other services too that may also let you put in multiple email addresses. And what you may not necessarily have thought of is that very often you can use those other addresses for account recovery if you lose your password or if somebody else tries to do a password reset on your account. So for example, if you used to work for a company, now that company, of course, has control over that domain where you had that email address. And if they reissue that same email address, maybe your name is John Smith and they have a Jane Smith and they just reuse J Smith at that company's domain. Now Jane Smith could potentially break into your accounts And, well, that's not such a great thing, is it? I don't think Jane would do that. She's a nice person. (laughs) Okay, in October, it turned out that an airline, Lufthansa, said they were banning air tags on flights, but it turned out that they weren't banning air tags on flights. And uh, rather than discuss it now, I'm going to link to the article where we talked about this. We spent way too much time on this. It's a problem of miscommunication and misunderstanding and a couple of people on their Twitter account that weren't really aware of what was going on. We saw some malware in October. We're going to talk about malware more specifically in next week's episode when we look at the year in Apple malware. November was a pretty big month for Twitter when Elon Musk purchased Twitter and said that he was going to offer the blue check that indicates which accounts are verified for $8 a month. And so they already started doing that, I believe, a couple weeks ago. And I've seen a number of cases where reporters have bought accounts to impersonate elected officials. And if you see the blue check, it doesn't mean that anyone's verified anymore. So you need to be aware of this when you're interacting with people on Twitter in the future. Right. So they initially launched this in November. They kind of put it on hold for a while and now they've relaunched it. And now it's actually $11 a month. Even if you'd already been paying $8 a month, now you're going to have your subscription price increase to $11. I haven't really seen anybody talking about that, but I mean... I don't know. It's a bargain at twice the price if you want to impersonate someone. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. But speaking of Twitter, of course, a lot of people then are deciding that they don't like the direction that Twitter is going. And so they want to find some other social network. And in fact, a lot of people in the information security community have decided that they're going to move to Mastodon, which is this other social network. It's very different from a lot of other social networks in the sense that it's federated, meaning that anybody who wants to can have their own server. That's part of this social network. 
So I wrote an article about Mastodon safety and some of the things that you need to be aware of when anybody can run a server on this social network. And also I mentioned in that article that if you happen to be deciding to get rid of Twitter forever and delete your account, well, you might want to think twice about that. It might be better to just put your account sort of in a dormant state in the sense that you're just not using it anymore and that maybe you put a post on there telling people to find you wherever else you're going to be on social media. If you Because if you choose to deactivate your account or delete your account, that means that somebody else can then register your username and then potentially impersonate you. It's similar to the old domains that we talked about previously. If you don't have control over that name, anyone else can pick it up. And we wouldn't want someone else using the Josh Meister on Twitter, would we? No, but I, I'm not giving up that username anyway. <laughs> so I mentioned earlier that we would come back to lockdown mode because Josh was really psyched about this. And so he used it for a couple of months. And in October, we did an episode of the Intego Mac Security Podcast where we talked about extreme security and privacy on the iPhone. Josh, are you still using lockdown mode? I am on my iPhone. I still have decided at this point, it's not something that I want to use on my Mac. And one of the reasons for that is I feel the phone is probably a little bit more likely to be a target. It seems like in the sense that, you know, maybe a nation state trying to get access to your devices, I, I think that's probably a little more likely to happen on the iPhone. I, I don't know exactly why I feel that way, but... Are you particularly worried about a given nation state attacking your iPhone, Josh? Or is this just one of these, you know, security researcher things? <laughs> This is one of those things where I don't know, like maybe I could potentially be a target because I'm a security researcher and maybe somebody thinks that I might have some special information that they can access if they break into my devices. I don't know, but it's it's worth it to me to get that little bit of extra security. As, as I mentioned in that episode, I think the most obnoxious thing about having lockdown mode on, and there are some annoying things, but one of the things that at first... Every time you open an app that has a page that loads sort of with WebKit, it's going to put up a, a notification saying that lockdown mode is enabled for this app. It's like, yeah, thanks. I know. I have probably dozens of screenshots because I've taken a screenshot every single time that a new app has given me that alert. <laughs> and I have dozens of screenshots like that on, on my phone. So it's a little bit annoying. But that's the price you pay for extreme security, Josh. Exactly. Now, the reason I'm not using it on the Mac is that, for one thing, we have better security tools and capabilities on the Mac that we just don't get on iOS because Apple hasn't allowed, for example, antivirus software to run on iOS. And there are a lot of things like that that can enhance your Mac security without having to resort to extreme measures like some of the things that lockdown mode will do to your Mac. Okay, we ended the year in December with Apple announcing three forthcoming security and privacy enhancements. It's pretty rare that they announce something like this at the end of the year. The first one is iMessage contact key verification. The second is support for hardware security keys for two-factor authentication. And the third is advanced data protection. We have an article about these new features, and we talked about it on episode number 270 of the Intego Mac 
podcast. Yeah, I, I think one of the most important things here is that advanced data protection is very interesting from the perspective of if you are looking for a secure messaging platform and you were concerned about Apple potentially being able to access your iMessages if you were backing them up to iCloud. There is a possibility now of enabling advanced data protection. This is an opt-in feature, so you have to choose to enable this for your account. And if you do that, now you can back up your iMessages to iCloud, and Apple should not, theoretically, if they're telling the truth on all of this, they should not have any ability to access any of your messages that are being backed up to iCloud. That's a good thing, at least from the perspective of you know not wanting maybe a rogue employee at Apple to be able to get access to your messages, uh, you know, that might be getting paid off by some intelligence agency or something like that. Nation state. A nation state attacker. That same nation state that wants to get into your iPhone. Right. Okay, that's enough for this week. Next week, we'll have more news and we'll start talking about the year in Apple malware. Until next week, Josh, stay secure and keep lockdown mode on. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.